0: Hello, and welcome to our Crux Investor listeners and also to our Crux Club early access members who can be to us a little bit earlier than everyone else. We
1: are here for our
0: weekly catch-up with Justin Hume. Justin
1: Hume,
0: the Uranium Insider, how are you, sir?
1: Doing well, Matt. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, not bad. Not bad. How's things in sunny in sunny California? All good?
1: <coughs> yeah, uh they're good. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on yeah, no, they're good. They're good. They're
0: good. Yeah, yeah it just, let's, let's just leave it there. really? No, we 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 gotta know more. I, I I'm ringing people from all around the world and I'm uh, intrigued by how things are getting on. So your country, just from outsider's point of view, looks like it's imploding. What's what's the view from the street?
1: Uh I would say that's a pretty accurate view. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um I mean it but it it largely depends on where you are. There's it's just it's crazy. Um yeah, the you know, the the news reports are mainly highlighting COVID case count skyrocketing, but they're not really giving the whole story, you know, which is that the death rate has been falling, 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 falling. It's very low. It's now approaching just the seasonal flu death rate in the states. Okay. Um, so, but they're focusing on the case count, and, and then my whole theory on the whole thing is just it's it's just political it's political warfare and the the states and the and the big cities that are that are kind of uh that are democrat run let's say are have been absolutely imploding just chaos in the streets rioting big protests in New York City Chicago Seattle uh yeah it's bad it's definitely bad and i i don't see it getting better before the election unfortunately but Um, you know, depending on where you are, I mean, some states are perfectly fine, both politically and COVID related and, and my hometown in Southern California is totally fine, beautiful weather, everybody's healthy. It's it's literally nothing wrong. If you just stay off of the news media.
0: So what's, what's, why, why are they doing this? You (laughs) you said Democrat, it's going to get a little bit political here because I don't understand enough about American politics to really comment. So you say democratic towns and cities perhaps are troublesome, yeah. troublesome at the moment. But, but why? Yeah. What's, the, what's the point of doing that?
1: Well, I should just first say I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. Um, I consider myself pretty centered for the most part. I kind of lean sort of conservative in some areas and liberal in other areas. But um, so, I, you know, the Democrats just don't have a candidate. For the election, I mean Joe Biden. That's running is very clearly in steep decline with his mental faculties, which is just kind of very sad to see. Um, but there's just they, they've got nothing, and and so my theory is that they're attempting to push as much chaos and misery. I mean, the, the economic misery that's happening here due to the lockdowns is off the charts, and and I and it seems to be. Um, very exaggerated in the democrat-run states for whatever reason and that's my thinking is the more chaos the more misery the more pain that can be created um the more statistically likely that there will be voting for uh quote-unquote change in november so
0: So, it's a trump versus trump
1: exactly exactly yeah yeah (laughs) so if the country if the country implodes in an election year it's Less likely that the incumbent will be reelected, basically, is the is the angle they're taking, and it's just it's really sad to see. I mean, uh, New York is just absolutely falling apart. Crime rate is more than five Uh It's just really, really sad. But yeah, I, I mean, on a happy note, it seems like even though the case count is going crazy, the you know people are generally. Healthy. I mean the hospitals are doing fine. The death rate has fallen very low. Like I feel like we're getting through this. It's just not what the media is reporting. And and so I just feel like it's all political and it's it's a bummer. A bummer. <laughs> but we're all doing okay. And I'm happy to see the market's doing well as well. So that's kind of a bright light <laughs> in the backdrop of all this chaos.
0: <laughs> that that is I love that so California, it's a real bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. After the trail of devastation you've just described, it's a real bomb. Yeah. A wonderful, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, yeah. that, that's interesting. We don't get to see that. Um, you know, Joe Biden, I think, you know, ha- has been quite a charismatic individual in the past when he was with Obama. You know, we, we saw a lot of him. So what's he doing? Just, just gone mute, gone into hiding?
1: Nobody knows. I mean, knows, we right. just haven't even we haven't even heard heard from him. He'll he'll do the occasional kind of 5-minute interview that is no doubt just chopped up with edits. Uh, I mean, he's just having trouble even putting together a coherent sentence and it's 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 really sad to see. But I just don't know what their angle is here because they're not even going to have somebody to debate. There's no debates.
0: This is running, mate. <laughs> uh,
1: but he, he hasn't chosen it yet. Right. Although he has expressed that it will be a woman,
0: just any woman,
1: any woman is. Okay. Just yeah. needs to remember her name. Yeah, we're good. Okay, right.
0: Um, <laughs> let's let's move on. I I I, I am. A, a, let's do it, let's please. Do it. Yeah, let's move on. Um, but I'm I'm interested in the COVID, the COVID uh, your description of what's going on there in terms of like death rates are in line with the flu. I think you told me earlier. Um, yeah. Rather than perhaps what's being reported. But right. I went, I, went, have say, I went to London this week to have dinner with my daughter. And it's the first time I've been to London since February, out of, out of choice. And mm-hmm. um, everyone's wearing face masks and, you know, some cases gloves and just social distancing until you get into mm-hmm. the restaurant, in which case it's like all bets are off. And, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, great, great wine, great meal, great conversation, really nice to see her because she's, she's working uh, down at Fidelity Um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen her since February and, uh, but since I, like the last two days, I don't know if it's psychosomatic, but I'm like, I'm, like, I'm sure I've got something, I'm sure I've got something. <laughs> it's like, you do know what I mean, you, you kind of, you kind of reject <clears throat> yeah.
1: because of this fear that's being right. put into you by. Oh Yeah. Uh, and I'm I mean fear and stress have a huge impact on the immune system. Huge.
0: Yeah. So I think I'm, yeah. that and maybe a lot of wine. That is it's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those two things that is causing this slight like, like, I'm just like just a little, I'm a little bit stiff here. It's 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 a I I I know it is. I just need some sleep is what I need. Um Yeah. Should we should we talk about uranium instead? Because I don't think anyone needs to hear on do it, do they? No. Uh, probably not. No, no. no I think. Let's do it. No. Let's do it. No. So it's been. When were you on? You were on like I think three weeks, three weeks. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Three weekends ago. Um, good chat about the state of, state of play in the market. So I thought, um, what I've noticed, and I don't know about you, and do, do you tell me if you if, if you think it's different? Is we've seen a lot more generalists coming in, generalist investors coming into the Uranium space and asking us questions, quite basic questions, simple questions. And it's easy to forget that not everyone's been in this for the last couple of years, two, three years. And they're coming into this quite strange place called the uranium investment sector and wondering what on earth is going on. So <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you feel like demystifying it a little bit for them? Sure. Should we, should we, <clears throat> let's, let's try that. Let's try that thing. Okay? Yeah, let's do it. So let's pretend I am new to this. It'll be quite easy. And uh, I'm going to ask you some questions about what, how this thing works, uh, what the moving parts are, um, and let's see if at the end of it, we don't make it just a little bit easier to understand. Okay, so let's try that. So first of all, whenever I go into a sector, I need to understand the, the macro thesis. So do you fancy something crack explaining that?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, great idea. I, by the way, I've also noticed just a, a really big influx of interest in the space, which has been great. Um, mm. And kind of unexpected besides the fact that, um, you know, that some of the equities are breaking out and Canaco looks really strong, which is starting to get some institutional interest, I believe. And next Gen has been breaking out, which is sort of the next down the line and mid to large cap stocks in the space. So perhaps that's been... Uh, attracting some some new eyeballs. But it was sort of surprising considering how strong gold and silver have been that usually steal the show and steal most of the attention of the resource space.
0: It's true, uh, but we were having a conversation yeah. with a fund manager earlier this week, and you know his suggestion is that it, the fact that gold and silver, you know, precious metals generally, are doing so well, it's emboldened people about this sector again. It just hasn't been sexy for such a long time. And mm-hmm. where they have investments elsewhere, they're perhaps redirecting it towards natural resources again. And you know, so to that regard, they can either kind of load up and double down on precious metals, or they can look mm-hmm. elsewhere and sort of see, well, what what else looks interesting. And you know, and, you know, from that regard, I guess mm-hmm. the macro story being told about uranium is kind of attractive.
1: I agree. Yeah, really good point. Um, all right, so you want to just go like thirty thousand foot view here
0: let's let's go that high
1: <clears throat> gotcha okay this is good i I very rarely actually get the chance to even do this because most of the time we're talking to people at least have a uh, a reasonable um, outlook on the space but but I think it's good to to speak to the beginners because I think it it brings up other stuff for people that are already aware myself included um, just to kind of think about the bigger picture too. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, so basically, uranium uh, had a huge bull market from 2004 to 2007. There was a a contracting cycle that happened during that period that really just went crazy, um, primarily due to some expected demand, new demand coming from China, and uh, some supply shocks in the form of mine floods with both Cigar Lake and MacArthur River. Um, So there was a a perceived hit to supply or scarcity of supply, just a perceived scarcity of supply, even though there never really was during that bull market. Um, so that kind of just flew and and spot went from, I think it was seven or $8. I believe it was below $10 um, at, at the low in like 2002 ish, um, all the way up to $136 in 2007. And it was an absolute tear. Um, Spot then declined and kind of came back down from the clouds, sort of in line with the financial crisis in 2008, and sort of settled back down. I believe in the 40s before it started to climb again, going towards um, leading up to the Fukushima disaster in 2011. So at that point, uh, a, a, almost 10 percent of global demand just shut off practically overnight, with Japan closing all of their reactors and. Germany sort of following suit shortly thereafter, shutting off about half of their reactors. But yet we still had supply. So all of the supply coming online from from the price overshoot that led to these projects eventually coming online. Um, Because Prom, the largest producer in Kazakhstan, was growing rapidly every year and quickly becoming the largest producer. Um, And so after Fukushima, the price of uranium just Hit the floor and slowly declined for many, many years as supply was steady and growing, but demand had had uh, had dropped steeply. So we ended up having a really long bear market, essentially from 2011 to, I would say, the bottom at least for the uranium price. The bottom um, was in 2016. Uh, the equities' the bottom was probably this last March. So. Even though, as as the uranium price started to recover since two thousand sixteen, with a couple of blips, you know, it jumped up, it came back down, went back up, came back down, eventually settling sort of in the mid, settling in the mid twenties. The equities, just for whatever reason, did not really follow that general uptrend in spot price for a few years. I think there was there's been a lot of sentiment um, in the space of doubt just doubt about this thing because it's been taking so damn long. We've been hearing the story since since, two, since the mid-teens, mid-2000 teens, that the price is below the cost of production. It has to come up. Now is the time to get in, et cetera, et cetera. And we've had these head fakes for three years in a row that really hit uh, investor sentiment. Um, meanwhile, we have this Section 232 investigation happen in the United States that started in 2018 um it was a petition made by UR Energy and Energy Fuels that was requesting a 20% quota for US demand to be purchased from from US supply from domestic supply and that process took 18 months from its inception to a final ruling on it which basically turned down the request for quotas created this working group um, the nuclear fuel working group which took almost another year another nine or ten months before they came out with their findings long story short incredibly bullish outlook for domestic uranium at least in the rhetoric we've yet to actually see hard numbers and how exactly the government's going to move forward into implementing some of the um, some of the projections and some of the proposals but uh that whole that whole situation while it I don't think it had as big an impact on the industry as people would like to believe. It had a big impact on investor sentiment because a lot of investors jumped in thinking this this Section 232 situation was going to be a huge tailwind for U.S. miners, and it brought a lot of short-term speculators, traders into the space who got who got kind of smacked down when it was turned down in July of 2019. and um, And so there's just been a lot of chop, let's say in the sector. Um, but underlying all of this is this just wonderful growth story for nuclear globally. And it's it's set to grow between 1% to 3% per year out, out beyond this decade. Um, a lot of that growth is in China, but there are new reactors being built, I believe, in more than 15 countries right now, um, China being the largest. <clears throat> But there's this also this ESG element where um, uh, nuclear is now seen as a very important source of clean energy, and it's carbon free, and emissions free, and and it's getting a lot of support from um, a lot of unexpected support from the environmental left that's that has grave concerns about carbon emissions and global warming, etc. So we have this great backdrop of this fundamental story. And sort of bringing that all into today, we're now seeing um, a, a sustained uptrend in the price of uranium, both in the spot price and the term price and all elements of the fuel cycle. Um, and we're seeing now we're finally seeing the equities catch a bid, which has been very wonderful to see for the long-suffering uranium bulls like myself. And we've had a really, really strong rally um, since March, since the March lows. Much of this has been inspired. By the way, just bump in any time here if I'm rambling. <laughs> if you have anything to add, no, um, no
0: I think look, I think that's fine. I think what would be um, quite good is to kind of throw some start throwing some numbers in there in terms of sure um, on the supply and demand side because I think that's of course that's really where it gets quite obvious to people. Where of course, is
1: going of course. So we have so globally there's a a demand roughly of about 180 185 million pounds um of U308 equivalent. Uh so, so basically just really quickly run through the fuel cycle. U308 is the raw uranium. This is what's mined out of the ground. Um, either in a hard rock mine, which is an underground mine, or an open pit mine that's milled to uh to 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 grind down the ore and extract the actual uranium um from the ore, or it's mined through ISR mines, which is a series of wells where a fluid, uh, typically an acidic fluid, is injected into the into the ore body, the geology underneath the ground, where there's usually an aquifer that contains uranium. So that in, that fluid is injected and extracted, containing the uranium mineral that's attached to that um, to that fluid, and that's then processed to create uh, the, the U3O8, the the raw uranium. That is then converted into UF6, which is a gas. The converted UF6 is enriched in in a centrifuge um, that spins at very high velocities to separate the U-235 and the U-238 isotopes to increase the percentage of U-235 isotope, which is the fissile isotope, to create enriched uranium, also known as EUP, enriched uranium product. That is then made into fabricated fuel. And this whole process takes anywhere from, let's say, 12 to 24 months. Um, 24 months is on the long end, so that would be you know, underground mined rock that has to be milled and shipped long distances. The ISR process is probably more like a 12-month process, especially coming from Kazakhstan or Russia. So you have a, a total demand of globally of about 180 to 190 million pounds a year. And a total supply typically in the 150 range, um, that includes mined supply. Now there's secondary supply, which is about 20 to 25 million pounds a year. It comes from various sources, primarily underfeeding, um, without getting too deep into the weeds. It's just, it's enrichers extracting extra uranium from the tails or the leftover material from the original enriching process. So if you take the 140, 150 million pounds of mine supply, add the add the secondary supply, you end up with about a 10, 15, 20 million supply deficit. Um, uh, actually, if you add the secondary supply, it's less than that. Let's call it 10 million pounds supply deficit. But structurally, it's more like 20 to 30 million pounds um, deficit between supply and demand. The situation we're in now With COVID 19 spreading globally, we've had a number of mine shutdowns. Most importantly, Cigar Lake in Canada, which is a huge mine, an underground mine operated by Cameco that has produced um, around 18 million pounds a year. And Kazakhstan, um, Kazatoprom, has shut down their well field development. So they're technically still producing from their existing ISR mines. They're still running. sulfuric acid through those well fields and extracting uranium. However, it's at a a declining rate because they have not been able to drill additional wells, which they have to do uh, constantly to maintain production to keep up with the decline rates in the existing wells. So if you take a look at the total supply situation for 2020, I believe we're going to see a greater than 30 million pound supply shock in addition to the 20 million pound supply deficit that already existed. So we're now looking at um, a, a supply deficit during 2020 of potentially around 50 million pounds between supply and demand, which is huge. It's, it's huge. just absolutely it's huge. huge. So, yeah,
0: okay, basic economics, when there's a supply yeah. deficit right, of anything, prices usually go up if that product is in demand. And you're saying this product is in demand, uh, expectation is that prices will move. So th- th- that's in terms of the macroeconomics, that's a good description of you know how, how technically people um, mine uranium, I saw and hard rock. It, you've talked about the supply demand, state of s- supply and demand there. We could kind of drop down and get a little bit complicated here um, and talk about there's a kind of east-west conundrum as well isn't there to this. It's worth, worth understanding and. And knowing about
1: sure are you, are you talking about just specifically the u.s market and russia yeah mm. yeah so that's another another thing that's overhanging right now that we should be hearing some kind of news on within the next couple of weeks which is the russian suspension agreement um and i certainly am not an expert on this particular topic i know that uh you've had brandon monroe on um it seems like every week if not multiple times a week has been absolutely wonderful. And he he explains the situation very well. But essentially, the Russian suspension agreement uh, limits imports of Russian uranium, uh, primarily or entirely in enriched uranium, or SWU, separative work unit, which is the, the pricing mechanism for enrichment. So it limits Russian uranium as 20% of total demand in the United States. And this has been in place for a number of years, and it's set to expire at the end of this year. And currently, um, we don't yet know how it's going to resolve. And we're supposed to hear within the next couple of weeks something coming from the federal government of the United States on how things are going to play out with this. So it sounds like there's a couple of different um, recommendations coming from both the House, the House and the Senate. In the states, as far as how to resolve the RSA. Um, but it sounds to me like, in general, and what I'm actually expecting to happen is for it to be extended and for it to be continued at the current 20%, but likely with recommendations for future declines at, to lower than 20%. The sort of I, what I think is less likely to happen, <clears throat> but potentially kind of another black swan. In a way for the sector would be for the for the Russian suspension agreement to end and uh the anti dumping investigation to to continue uh but Russian uranium would essentially have a hundred and fifteen percent tariff for u s imports in which case we basically would not be getting Russian uranium anymore and why is that <laughs> if that were
0: why do American uranium producers think
1: that is a good thing because the utilities like getting uranium from Russia. I mean, they have a soup to nuts delivery. I mean, they, they mine it, they convert it, they enrich it, they make the fuel, and they ship it. It's reliable. It's typically less expensive. And they the Russians just have a lock on the global market and all, all levels of, uh, of uranium production, even with nuclear plants, with their export market. So they've been a very reliable supply of cheap uranium for, you know, a very very long time, and the utilities like being able to access that. And I think if it were up to them, they would be able to access more because it's it's a, it's a, it's an all-in-one solution and it's reliable and it's cheap. And so if it were if it were to be cut off or even um, reduced, it would be it would. And, okay, so to answer your question, the the U.S. producers would obviously benefit. Because less Russian supply means more supply from everywhere else. And it also would likely mean an increase in uranium prices, which the US producers generally need in order to have profitable operations or operations at all at this point.
0: So so there's this conundrum. The US utilities want cheap, efficient uh, uranium. And in fact, the entire process, as as you described, I think they also, the Russians remove it. that, so they want that but the u.s producers saying well as long as that keeps going on this cheap uranium is reducing or stopping our ability to actually mine economically at home so, right so what's the big deal right. about
1: that right about u.s production being expensive
0: well well yeah yeah that but also but but, but why should investors care whether um u.s Uranium investors and uh, miners can mine economically. There's loads of uranium around the world, isn't there?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that the whole, the whole impetus for um, the I bet, nuclear fuel working. I've got to right? say at
0: this point, I'm role-playing. Because <laughs> every time I do yeah, role-play, I, understand. I get absolutely I understand. hammered. How stupid is this guy? Okay, so I'm asking the dumb <laughs> questions. I gotta say that Every, everybody
1: knows you already know this stuff. You're <laughs> you're just playing the role. I get it. I get it. Yeah. No. Go on then. No. So so the whole impetus of the nuclear fuel working group was to address uh, a, a potential national security issue, which is the fact that twenty percent of the electrical grid in the United States comes from nuclear energy, yet we produce almost zero of the fuel uh, to operate these plants. So just coming from a um, self-sustaining point of view, it seems incumbent on the, the the government to support and for U.S. producers to be able to produce some percentage of the fuel that we use simply for national security issues. So, so and the primary issue with Russia is that they're not necessarily um, an ally. And if that supply were to just be cut off by Russia, perhaps, or just by you know, situations like we're facing right now with COVID, um, international reliance on on uranium coming from anywhere outside of the U.S. is uh, potentially a national security issue to the to the electrical grid. Okay. So, so, the, so reinvigorating hmm. the miners and the whole fuel cycle in the U.S. is something that the government is interested in supporting at this point
0: for national security reasons. Okay. Right. So, I mean, it's worth sort of saying that this is a very small market. If you compare it to gold or any of the base metals, this is a very small market—about ten billion bucks worth at the moment. Um, so, it, it's right. little things can affect it greatly, and therefore, it's important to understand all the moving parts. That, that's why we're kind of going through this, you know, back to basics Indeed. approach to it. So, um, given given the size of the U.S. market, I think. I don't know if you did say, but we'll say it now. It's about 25% of global demand. Uh, for the US. It's it, it's a big deal. Yes. In, in terms of energy supply for sure. Um do we think that um the because the, the, the big problem here, people come into this and we're asked on a literally a daily basis about spot price. Okay. So the spot price of right. uranium is important, but there's also something called term contracts. Maybe you want to sort of again simply explain what what that is and why, again, U.S. uranium miners are concerned about uh, the price of uranium.
1: Sure. Um, So uranium is generally purchased and sold through both the spot market and the term market. And so the spot market is is uranium that is delivered within a 12-month time frame. And it's, which is kind of a long time for a, for a quote-unquote spot market that, that is meant to be more of a sort of just-in-time market of what's mobile and available for sale out there right now and at what location and how much are you willing to pay for it. The spot market is what is generally in the investor's um, view. Everybody seems to watch the spot market. It's what uh, gets most of the attention in the investing world, and it's what the equities generally respond to the most. Uh, the term market is, 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 you know, short for long term, and, and it deals with contracts for delivery. Well, anything more than twelve months, but typically these mid to long term contracts represent the bulk of the total amount of uranium that utilities purchased. So it's it's kind of it's interesting because the term market is arguably more important to the nuclear sector. It's um, it's the way that producers can secure contracts that can guarantee um, cash flow essentially to support their mining projects, and it's a way that utilities can secure fuel for their plants for a number of years out into the future. So it it, it actually It's crucial for this sector um, to rely only on a just-in-time situation for uranium. It just doesn't work, uh, primarily due to the long time frame it takes to, you know, I mean, in some cases, decades to explore for uranium, to build a mine, to extract it, and to get get a mine up and running is years and years and years and years for a greenfield project. So these term contracts really go a long way to secure. A market for producers and fuel supply for for utilities. Um, what's happened essentially is the term contracts that were signed, let's say 2006 to the mid 2010s, are slowly starting to come off. But in the later part of the 2010s, there was a a, a lot of spot market purchasing because Adam Prom um, had absolutely flooded the market with cheap uranium, and we had the oversupply that I talked about earlier, just a supply greater than demand for many, many years. Um, and so the term market really died down, and the volumes in the past five years have been substantially less than they were um, during the previous cycle. The spot volumes, um, on the other hand, have risen a lot. And what we're seeing right now is is a pretty big jump in spot volume, especially this year relative to previous years. Uh, primarily due to producers buying, so cameco has been um, has had their uh, Macarthur River mine offline since 2018, and they've been a, a substantial buyer in the spot market. Uh, which they did intentionally, you know, the, the prices had gone so low they still had a lot of contracts, and and they felt that they could fulfill those contracts by uh, not only their Cigar Lake mine that was still operating at the time, but they have a JV with Kazatomprom. In um, in Kazakhstan, uh, Inkai, which is a, a monstrous ISR mine, so they have that production, or I should say, had that production, um, plus the spot market in order for purchasing to fulfill those contracts, which is they they've been doing for two years now. Um, and so the spot market, like I said, is what investors generally watch, and that is uh, that's what has been moving. Uh, you know, we jumped up from about twenty four dollars a pound to about thirty three dollars a pound. It's come back a little bit down to about 33. It was a little bit higher a couple months back. But the spot market is thin. I mean, it's generally thought that there really is not a lot of supply in the spot market. And utilities have not been in the spot market. I think my personal opinion is that they know that it's thin and they don't want to move the price right now. So they're dealing good. with their own. That's good. Yeah, right? and so it's very good. Investor, it's good for investors. It's, all it's good for and investors. That's what we're
0: talking uh, about here. So we're talking with general yes. investors, looking at different commodities. If you're coming back to natural resource space, you're looking at commodities, which and you're looking at thematics, I think Uranium is fascinating. Now the problem with Uranium has been, it's been fascinating for the last two or three years, but now we're kind of getting, getting down to the last few yards. So this is an investment Category for patient investors, right? I would say that.
1: That's an understatement. <laughs> That's an understatement.
0: <laughs> uh, certainly for the past. But I'm talking about again, new people coming in because again, it's not yeah. necessarily going to go to the moon in the next month, but it's definitely going to shoot up when it goes. Um, yes. Because I need to say because I, 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 you know, I think we're in both in different camps. Here, so you, you, you know, you're a newsletter writer who provides, by the way. If uh, if you're new to Uranium Space, you should look at um, uraniuminsider.com, which is Justin's newsletter. It gives you very good uh, market coverage and also talks about the companies, which is something that we don't do. We don't promote names uh, or companies. So, you know, um, Justin is someone that perhaps you could talk to about that. We're here for the education of helping people understand how to go about investing and what they should be thinking about whilst investing. So just want to make that note mid Mid-discussion, um, so, yeah. there you go, there you go, Um But, you know, just, just, just kind of looking at the Uranium space, I think, you know, we, we do have Uranium investments. So I'm not going to name names, uh, and I'm not, definitely not going to push them. Um, why don't we try and help people understand um, the different options available to them? Because everyone's going kind to of have a slightly different business model or different investing strategy. or we'll start from a different point. Um, you know, in terms of whether their risk appetite, etc. So maybe we talk about the sort of tier one, tier two, tier three, and beyond. Is that something you'd be happy to talk about?
1: Sure, yeah. If if I could just say one note to kind of close um what we were just discussing with mm-hmm. the spot and term market and, and patience, uh, yeah, patience is definitely needed. I think that you really want to have a minimum two-year outlook at this point. Um, mm-hmm. so I I'm sort of looking at two to four years. Yeah. what i'm envisioning for a total invested time for this market it could be longer it really depends on how things play out but i i'm not looking to sell my 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 holdings anytime between now and two years unless there's some sort of event that we're not seeing that affects things
0: Good point.
1: <clears throat> yeah and and really quick to to summarize with the spot long-term thing um everybody's kind of waiting for the term market uh, to to come back to life. And it's really, really, the volumes are very low. Now, we're hearing that there are utilities that are putting out some RFPs, some requests for proposal uh, amidst all of the chaos that we've already discussed with COVID, and the RSA, and uh, and ER, the Iran waivers. I don't want to get into that, but that's another overhang plus the election. Um, But we're hearing that utilities are interested. And I do believe that Next year, we will see some term contracting come in, which should obviously move the term price and spot price should follow, if not lead at this point, because the spot market is really, it's where our investments are following most closely. And it's the market where the situation is more, let's say, dire when it comes to supply and demand. So that's, that's um, yes, patience is needed. But the interesting thing about this sector is there's all of these spinning parts that it's so damn hard to really know exactly when this thing going to move. And when it does, it moves fast and it moves hard. So if you're looking for a way to, to, to jump in and out in a three to six month investment or trade, I should say, that's not an investment, that's a trade. Um, I wouldn't recommend uranium unless you're really on your feet and on your screen uh, you know, for every minute of the market. Otherwise, scaling in and, and sitting tight for a couple of years at least is probably a smart way to go.
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm on your team. Yeah. I
1: agree. Nice. So as far as investment options, um, risk tolerance, et cetera, there's, even though it's a very small market, there's vast differences in, in the options for investing. You have, uh, you have a few ETFs. You have the classic uh, URA which is the Global X Uranium Fund, um, which now only holds 50% uranium equities. And most people that are in the know in this sector don't really like that uh, vehicle or or invest money into it. They have mentioned that they're looking to increase that holding to 70% uranium, but then they retracted that like the same day. So I don't really know what's going on with that. I think that they still intend to increase their uranium holding. That doesn't make me want to buy it, but that is good for the sector because they'll obviously they just when when these ETFs buy and add to their holdings, they just hit the ask. Um, they just pay whatever the ask is. So it it really can be a tailwind to especially some of the larger caps. And it can also be a headwind when they're selling, as we saw in January with URA selling kind of their last phase of selling out and reducing their. Their holdings of uranium. Um, there's two other ETFs that are far better options, in my opinion. URNM and HURA. URNM is on the um, ARCA or the New York Stock Exchange, and or it might be the Nasdaq. I'm sorry, I'm not sure. The major U.S. market. And HURA is in the Canadian market. I think it's on the TSX. Those are those are far better um, options for anyone wanting to buy ETFs and just gain exposure without really having to look into or wanting to look into individual equities um Good. Good. a couple i mean i guess i'm kind of starting at the low risk options right yeah. the low risk options and the larger cap options that um, likely will see the bulk of investment funds um, as far as uh institutional investment funds there really aren't very many options for, for institutional investors with larger investments to, to buy. So the juniors are still quite small. So you have those ETFs I just mentioned. You also have a couple of funds um, that hold physical uranium. Uh, you have Uranium Participation Corp. And you have Yellowcake in London. And these two funds hold physical uranium and they they sell shares to buy more uranium when they're trading at a premium to net asset value and they um, sell uranium to buy shares when they're at a discount or at least in theory they don't always follow that protocol to a t but those are good ways to just expose yourself as an investor to the commodity itself um, and much much lower risk that that premium and discount to nav can be um frustrating at times, I guess, (laughs) when you when you see um the 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 spot price doing what it's doing and the fund not necessarily following it. But in general, these generally follow the spot price of uranium. Um, Then you have the large caps because Adamprom um that trades, I believe, on the London Stock Exchange, that is the biggest producer in the world. And Camico. Camico is I think, in my opinion, a really good option for Anyone want ex- wanting low risk exposure to a large cap in the sector, um, and it's it's definitely the darling of institutional investors. Um, and then you have a number of let's call them. It's I mean it's funny to call a mid cap you know it, with a few hundred million dollar market cap. It's it's it, traditionally that's a smaller cap with. I think, with well, I think regular stock. Good. Let's but,
0: call them let's call them tier, yeah. tier two equities.
1: Yeah, yeah. So tier two, you've got the next gen, the Denisons. Um I'm missing a couple of others. Uh, you know, energy fuels is kind of up there, fission. Um, a number of those stocks kind of in the mid-range. And these these still have a decent amount of volatility, even though they're in the mid-range on the market cap level. Um, and then you've got a number of juniors. I mean, everybody else is under a hundred million dollar market cap for the most part. With oh, your uranium energy is one. Um, UR energy is kind of up there. Uh, But then you have a few dozen juniors at varying levels going from a couple million dollar market cap up to 100. And there's huge differences in these companies. And if you're going to invest in the juniors, I highly, highly recommend that you look deeply into the companies before putting all your money into these baskets. Um, They're all over the map when it comes to how they're managed, when it comes to uh, the level of dilution, the share counts, the balance sheets, the amount of debt they have um, the the management's experience. I mean, you really don't want to just go all in on something you don't understand in the junior space because you really can get your ass handed to you. You could get lucky and you could do a shotgun approach, but if that's, if that's the way that you want to jump into here, you might as well just buy the ETF in my opinion, but there are a handful of juniors and, uh, a number of them that I recommend in my newsletter that in my opinion, show huge huge upside far greater than the mid caps large caps and the etfs but obviously they come with more risk so and that's where i'm primarily invested because i'm okay with that risk based on the amount of money i have invested and my age and my risk tolerance and all of that my goals as an investor etc so that i guess that's kind of an overview without mentioning a whole lot of companies specifically um yeah i mean
0: i I think think it just might might be worth just again just talking just like turning the volume up slightly on a couple of things you said there which are there are lots of companies um in the space about what is it 45 50 or so companies growing by the day um where you need to understand what your risk profile is what your risk tolerance is and what your needs are because some of these companies have been producers in the past and just need you know the the spot price to come back to you know something which allows them to mine economically again some of these are large cap but you know long time um to production because they've got permitting issues or they need to raise lots of money for their capex you've got others but they have very high grade large deposits you know very exciting so those are all good in their own way but they're going to they've got different delivery times for you as an investor you've got companies with very low grade but may get into production because they've got much lower capex you've got yeah. um companies which seem to have all the right parts in terms of studies and so forth but don't have a lot of capital they don't necessarily have management teams who have produced or sold into the uranium space previously and and all of these things have you could almost rank each of those things in terms of importance against your own risk tolerance. So all of the above may be fine for different people, but they're not going to be fine for um, you know some people. So you just you, you really do need to understand those components before you, as, as you just said, Justin, before you kind of place your investment against a company. And if and if you don't have the Appetite where you don't uh, want to put in the, the work to do that, then an, an ETF is probably makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, ETFs have been very, very popular over the past few years because it just takes the effort out of it. So, yeah, so, 100%. I, think that's a, I think that's a good good summary. But for the people who you know have got the appetite to do their homework and, and look at these things and really, really study it, you're going to get more leverage. Obviously, down with some of the assets which purportedly have a little bit more risk, to them, but have every chance of actually, you know, driving that share price, of delivering the, you know, the usual, you know, across um, the, the the scoping studies, the the um, everything that they need to deliver to get this thing into production at some point down the line to be able to get financing, get, right. get term contracts in place, and and. and yeah, each each of those steps brings value to the company. So you just need to just step and think. You know, have you got the ability or appetite to do that? If not, go ETS. Exactly, exactly. So
1: that's yeah. that's
0: not that's not a bad little summary. It's not a bad little summary, though, Justin. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's, yeah. what's, what's your it, view on this? Company? You, you said you think that term contracting will come back next year. When? When do you think it's going to come back?
1: Um, I don't think anybody really knows,
0: mm.
1: to be honest. I mean, I think that we can, we can gauge um, where utilities are at on average based on their inventories and their um, obvious lack of, of action in the spot market uh, this year. Um, so, I mean, the U.S. utilities have on average about two years of inventory of U308 equivalent. And so those inventories can be in U-308 and UF6 and EUP, fabricated fuel. Um, I think generally speaking, those inventories are held farther up the fuel cycle, not in U-308. But knowing that the fuel cycle does take time to go from U-308 to fabricated fuel at least 12 months, and probably more like 18 or more, that in them having two years of inventory, we know that it's got to start soon. And so they have options, um, at least in the short term. We don't know exactly how much UF6 is out there, but we know it's definitely more out there than is available in the spot market for U308. So I think that the utilities in general are going to deal with the existing overheads this year, overhangs, excuse me, um, with the Russian suspension agreement and the election, the Iran waivers and COVID-19. They're still you know, focusing on safe operations with their with their workforce and keeping them, the plants running safely and all of that. That's kind of priority one, knowing that they do have a decent inventory. It, then So two years of inventory is on the low end. That's historically low. Typically, they have more inventory than that. So we know it's on their radar, um, and that's on average as well. I'm sure that there are some utilities that have one year, year and a half, and they need to be buying soon. There's some utilities that have two and a half years or maybe more. So I think that they're going to deal with all of these overhangs. They're going to get through the coming year. They're going to potentially go into the spot market to see what they can find. But I don't think that's going to be very substantial because all of these utilities, I shouldn't say all of them, many of them, have contracted deliveries still that are at least partially referenced to spot. So term contracts typically are 60-40 spot in term. So what that means is 60% of the cost of the uranium on this contract is referenced to the price of spot uranium at the time of delivery. 40% is at a fixed price. And so these previous contracts that were signed in the past decade, that fixed price was anywhere from you know, $35 to $65, let's say. But if you have deliveries coming and you know that you're um your your neighboring utilities also have deliveries that are coming and they're referenced to the spot price then you're not about to go into the spot market and slam it trying to get half million million pounds here and there that's going to move the price up and affect the bottom line of the deliveries as well. so I think that utilities are kind of staying out of the spot market right now and perhaps that's a wise move for them so the spot market's going to be producer driven chemicalmico primarily but you know, If Kazatomprom stays down for longer and we see those supply impacts come to fruition the second half of the year, first half of next year, we could see Uranium One, we could see Orono buying in the spot market, we could potentially even see Kazatomprom doing some buying, which they've discussed. Sorry, this is a long answer <laughs> to what should have been a short question. Uh, I don't see the term market really heating up this year. It's possible that any discussions that have already been happening on term contracts could could be signed. Um, but I think it's next year and I think it's, I think it could happen in the first half of, of, of 2021. I know that you think it's probably second half, uh, Dustin Garrow mentioned in his interview with you uh, last week that I think he thinks we're talking about the mid part of next year. Yeah. Um, but I think we all know that it's coming. We just don't know exactly when, and I would argue that it doesn't really matter
0: Oh no! Look, right look. Like like t- As an it investor, totally, it yeah. totally doesn't matter. Yeah. But you know, we we talk about this in the context of developing very smart people calling this for the last two years, right? And they've clearly got right. it wrong. Okay, everyone's right. got it wrong. The smartest guys in this space have got it wrong. Um, you know, even up until a month ago, I was, I had my money on um, end of this year. Q4, right? And then a month ago, we saw the inventory numbers come out of the US and we we're like, whoa, that's not even close to the cupboard looking bear. So um, we reassessed at that point. And because obviously there's a lot, as you say, we keep using the word opaque market. There's a lot going on the market in terms of buying and, and, and mobile inventory and on and off book activity and um, it's it's hard to track when those numbers came out, we were like, okay, I think these guys are good. They, they have their, you know, some cases two, two and a half, three years worth um, here in Europe and in the U.S. And um, they got, they got options. And my, my, our concern was just to sort of talk about that Dustin Gary conversation, because we've had a lot of feedback about it too, where perhaps, you know, that conversation wasn't what people wanted to hear. But it comes back to your point, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter right. um, whether it's Q1, Q2, Q3, or Q4. I think the, the utilities, US utilities, which seems to be the key driver to this, will make their minds up after the RSA, which in, you know, as far as we're hearing, is end of the year. So I don't think it's, I'm not hearing anything which says it's going to be the next few weeks. And, um, and after the elections the U.S. elections, which is obviously November at mm. the end of this uh, remember this year for, for people. And then usually uh, at the U.S. elections, not a lot happens in, in the first quarter because people are kind of rearranging the, the deck chairs. As we say over here, you're re- re- rearranging the seats right. on the table. So given right. they're not desperate, given they've got a lot of other energy issues that they're dealing with in terms of renewable and gas and Coal and all of those things, we just feel that it's okay to be cautious. I'd be delighted to be wrong, but um, we, we aren't going to, you know, in our minds, because we've placed our bets like you. It's a lot; these are long-term bets, and we're we're happy to wait it out because it's clearly coming. I'm not complaining whether right. it happens first half or second half. I, don't, I really don't care because we'll be sitting right. on this thing for a little bit longer, and I and that's right. why I think. When you and I talked about patience earlier on, patience is absolutely um, a virtue in this case because, you know, just be confident in your decision about the thesis, the macro thesis for uranium. Just sit back and move on to the next thing. You know, we've seen some very vocal, some very angry um, commentary, and it's like, Mm. chill out, it's fine. It's, I need. I need to go I need. You need to use some of your Californian lingo on them. Just say it, it's
1: going to be okay. It's, it's okay, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well said, Matt. Yeah. It's the. You know. I mean. Like I said, the term contracting is crucial for the sector, and but it's not necessarily or even remotely directly linked to our investments. You know, like we've seen. Crazy moves in the equities this year with the crash in March and then very, very strong recovery in some of them since then. And the term market's been dead. I mean, so they're, not, they're not correlated at all, but it does have significance when it comes to an uh, overall procuring cycle for the utilities and the upward pressure that'll have on the price. But to follow that as the only thing that matters is, is an error, in my opinion, when it comes to investing in the space. And yeah chill out it's it's going i mean the demand is there the demand is growing the supply is not there at least in the mind U 308 you know it's not like there's no uranium to be had it's just that this thing will catch up it it is going to happen and it, we will see higher prices and it will drastically affect the equities i mean that's kind of where i see it
0: Do you know it sounded, it sounded really much cooler sure. when, when a californian said chill out <laughs> really did. I, I felt relaxed. As as you said how that, would you how would you say it over there? I don't know. I, like, this, this Irish brogue. Everything just sounds angry. Just, <laughs> just chill out, right? <laughs> that sounds, works. Sounds like yeah. an applied. That's threat. universal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it,
0: sounds, it sounds like I'm gonna come after you if you don't chill out. Um, well, just I think that was a fantastic romp through for certainly for I think new investors and. New generalist investors to uranium. I think that that's covered a lot of bases. Like you know, this is like all things. If you don't do your homework, you know, you you shouldn't be spending your money. Um, yeah, well, Do you know what? We had a great chat this week with one of the Crux Club members, and we were talking about Robin Hood. Right? So you know, Robin mm. Hood. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they they pulled their launch here in the UK. They said, uh, you know, indefinitely. Right? we we're not doing this thing. And mm. I thought that was interesting. Be, and, 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 I, and I think a good thing, I, I'm not a fan of Robin, Robin Hood as it, in its current incarnation, Okay, because I think it's giving access to a lot of people who definitely are not going to do their homework. It's kind of like the Instagram crowd who just think this is right. like a very casual, easy thing to do. Just press a button and you're a millionaire. And you know we've we've read some horrific stories where people have kind of done yeah. that, and lost lots lot, and, yeah. and they've committed suicide, yeah. and I, you know, yeah. you know, there, there, there's 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 a number of those stories floating around, and that that's sort of right. deeply upsetting and and, and uh, unfortunate for those families, but the regulators need to get a grip here because it, it, a few things are going to happen. I think it's going to be instantaneous, uh, m- you know, money swishing around for lots of companies from people who have no idea what they've just done. Um, and it's going to drive the market momentarily. But I, I really worry for the amount of people who are going to be losing their money hand over fist, because they just don't understand what they're getting into. And that, you know, and we, we have, I think, demonstrated in this conversation, if you're going to invest in a stock, you better darn well understand the moving parts, uh, because there's lots of options available to you. And if you're following the crowd, you're following the crowd. That's not, a, that's not a good thing.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's uh it's a dangerous space to speculate in without any understanding of, of of the moving parts. I mean, you don't necessarily need to be an absolute expert on the fuel cycle and, and completely understand all the elements, but the more you understand, the easier it is to know how to act with your positions in the face of volatility so i mean i can speak personally this year although the march crash was very unsettling um not only because of the the virus that was coming to kill us all but just the the equities bleeding out day after day week after week but the fundamental story hadn't really changed at all so for me it was I, I knew that nothing was wrong with my thesis and it, it really allowed me to kind of keep a cool head and, and put more money into it, knowing that we were going to get through it. And, and if you know, it goes on the, on the micro level too, with individual companies, if you, if you have a strong feeling about a company and the overall fundamental thesis for the sector and the company gets, gets smacked down or you see a sell-off happen on an individual day for whatever reason, um, then you you can have conviction to add uh, when it's down. Um, same thing goes in the other direction too. So I mean the more the more you understand, the easier it is to to trade this well. I would say rather than be shaken shaken out or or foMO into positions um, and, and chase positions. So I, I strongly recommend that people do their homework to the extent that they're able and and to not, not risk hard-earned money on on risky investments without doing their own due diligence, for sure.
0: And if they can't be bothered doing that, UraniumInsider.com's got some answers for you, Justin. Thanks, Matt. That is well, I mean, you know, you do your homework. I think you, you think about these things. Um, You've some good insights. Okay, so I should be on commission. Thank you. I? I should really should be. I think I think <laughs> yeah. some people think I am. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, you're not. Should, should we do a disclaimer? Yes, Matt has yes. not been paid for any of his views in this in this podcast. Anyway, shape, <laughs> Other than the
0: joy
1: yeah, of from from to me you. or otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, um, no, but I appreciate the support, definitely. And, and the newsletter's been great. It's been it's honestly been growing really fast. I've actually decided to um to end my free newsletter just because of time constraints. So I I still have the premium newsletter going and if any of your listeners want to reach out to me, wherever through email or Twitter, I'd be happy to discuss it. But they have, um, I since, yeah, I, since, I do my best to to support people for sure.
0: Since we've been talking, I've got someone from Holland who would like my advice as to whether they but phrase it not financial advice, just advice as to whether they they should um, pay for uranium newsletter. And I say, depends which one. <laughs>
1: Right. yeah there are a lot of options right a lot of options
0: but uh not not very good ones um yeah so to so to my listener or listeners in uh, in, in the netherlands yeah have a look at uh justin's newsletter for sure um good Thank well just, like, thanks very much today i i think i've got to get on i've, I've got my um my parents-in-law coming over yeah that's what i think really
1: yeah how uh yeah. What are you, what are you up to you going to make kind of a barbecue yeah. No, have, have a meal weekend, together?
0: We're having a meal together. Um, but this weekend has been a huge disappointment when it came to the weather, it's been oh, really, rainy, sunny, gray, I suppose it wasn't snow. Um, so no, 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 barbecue. I think we'll just have to, um, muddle through indoors. Uh, hopefully my wife has prepared something cause I've just looked at the time and realized I've done nothing. Nothing
1: well, thank you for pushing into your evening to yeah. chat. I appreciate it, and good luck with your uh, with your with your dinner. Well, thank you very much.
0: And uh, yes. what you What are you up to? What have you got? You've got to do your newsletter, obviously. But uh, any time yeah.
1: today? Yeah. I'm, I've got probably multiple hours into today's letter, and I'm going to do some honeydew stuff around the house uh, to to keep keep my wife happy. What's that called, honeydew stuff? the honey do the honey do list honey can you do this honey can you do that oh,
0: God. that's a great I've never, <laughs> I've never heard it called that oh really no oh, that's I, a, I get that's my a list the morning. in fact yeah i, I want to hear from all of all the guys who are listening to this i want i want the thing on the list that you least like doing or any tips on how to either do something quicker or avoid it completely i i want that <laughs> Guys, we've got to stick together out there. I want those ideas
1: in, please. Yeah, it, indeed, indeed. You back me up on that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The honey-do list is a very important part of a healthy marriage, Matt. It really is.
0: <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> it's been, mine's been going for twenty years. It looks like no. It doesn't look like it's abating. I'm pretty sure that list should be finished by now, but apparently it just never ends
1: it's like these websites with the infinite scroll it just you, you tick off something at the top and, mm-hmm. and, and something's just added to the bottom it, it won't end
0: but it, it, won't, end. it won't end won't like, end it's a trade off I, I, I look forward to going to work on a monday morning i, I need you to know my wife, my wife doesn't listen to these. She'll she, she'll never hear this. Uh, I, I look forward to going to monday morning have some 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 level of um you know esteem <laughs> which is not what i get from my wife and children at the weekend i I think there are many (laughs) many many men in the same boat
1: we're all at sea Uh, together it's a thing it's a thankless service isn't
0: it right justin i better (laughs) let you go buddy thanks so much and we'll speak to you again soon
1: sounds good matt have a great night thank you Bye.